Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the distinct pleasure of sitting down with Wisconsin Madison's Dr. Brian Heiderscheidt. And guys, when you're talking with Dr. Heiderscheidt, you're going to be talking about hamstring injuries. He is the expert in this field. So we start talking about his education background, how we got back to Madison, and how we got into studying hamstring injuries. After that, we get into how they've identified, they being uh, the research group that he works with at UW, uh, how they identified actions and loads that occur at the hamstring, and then the methods that cause these injuries to occur. After that, we get into some really neat stuff with how they've been working with gait retraining and uh, what methods he has used and had really uh, great levels of success with. We then talk about the relationship that's been built between academia, sports medicine, and athletics. Uh, and that's really cool. Like The stuff that they're doing there, guys, is super big time. Uh, and, and listening to Dr. Heiderscheidt talk about it was really, really neat to me. He then is, is nice enough to share the sports-specific tests that they're using and give examples and, and what they're doing with them. And then he talks about a, a side project he has, which is uh, the Science of uh, Running Medicine. And, you know, the website there is scienceofrunning.net. Uh, he talks about the symposium they have. It sounds like really super cool, fascinating stuff, guys. I love the talk. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Dr. Heiderscheidt, thank you for being with us today. Uh, Jay, thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. So you have a very interesting background, and I think we need to talk about that first so that the coaches can understand your point of view and where you're coming from. So let's talk about your education and, and how you got to, to Wisconsin. Sure. Uh, background is, is uh, uh, probably fairly typical. I don't think there's anything odd about it and, or any any strange twists in the in the history, but uh, my undergraduate degree is is in physical therapy. Uh, back in 1994, I graduated. Now, again, that was 20 plus years ago when when physical therapy was at an undergraduate or master's level program. Uh, unlike now, where it's at at the doctoral level. But um, but again, that that was my physical therapy training. Um, from there, I uh, at the same time actually spent a lot of time in working in. Uh, strength and conditioning <clears throat> a bit has always been kind of a side hobby and ended up passing uh, my CSCS uh, at the time. Uh, so I've had that for a number of years. Uh, but then I was really interested in the research side of it, uh, the, uh, the understanding how uh, the effects of different types of training. And so during that time, I had a chance to do uh, kind of an undergraduate honors thesis that compared plyometric training versus isokinetic training for the shoulder rotators and its effect on, on overall throwing performance. And, and uh, you know, I had, had the benefit of having it published, and it really kind of got me interested in the research world a bit more. Um, so I ended up uh, moving to uh, the West Coast for all of nine months so I could learn how to ski somewhat before I went back to the East Coast, to the University of Massachusetts, and uh, started my PhD work. I uh, was out there for about five years or so uh, in the area of, of biomechanics uh, as well as motor control, predominantly biomechanics of lower extremity. I uh, then moved back toward the Midwest, ended up at an osteopathic medical school for a couple of years and got a, a gate laboratory off the ground for them. Um, and then still wanted more of a of a high-powered research uh, lab and opportunity, so I ended up getting a chance to come to the University of Wisconsin Madison, and it's been it's been great. Uh, lots of collaborators, 
both in the athletics world and the sports medicine world, in the engineering world, that have really allowed us to do some some pretty fun things. Yes, and having the the combination experience with strength and conditioning, physical therapy, and the extensive knowledge of biomechanics brings us to an interesting topic and an interesting subject that you're the go-to guy to talk to about it, and that's the hamstrings. So let's talk about how you got interested in that, what drove you there, and what work you've done and, and what you found with the with the hamstring injuries. Sure. I mean, I'll, I'm happy to kind of go off on a, a lengthy story of describing it, but so, so please jump in and interrupt me when you have any particular questions you have. Uh, but but certainly, I mean, the, the, the hamstring is is uh, was not something that I'd originally targeted as a, a area that I really wanted to define a research career in. It really kind of fell into it. Um, when I arrived at Wisconsin, uh, I had a chance to, like I mentioned, work with a number of collaborators and, and a couple of the collaborators in particular had explored some some ways to recover or treat hamstring strain injuries. And they're really looking to put a, a little more of the, of the biomechanics or the science behind why they thought their program worked well. Um, but to answer that, we really had to take several steps backwards in that we first had to understand, well, what do the hamstrings even do uh, during sporting activities? And, and when we think about hamstring strain injuries, as you well know, it's really the sprinting activities that drive up the risk quite a bit. Certainly there are other activities, you know, a forced movement or odd landing or something that can trigger them. But more oftentimes than not, it's that high speed running, sprinting, acceleration where they, they tend to go. So we had to really define what, what sort of loads were on the hamstrings during high speed running. Um, we thought some of that work had been done in the literature and it had a little bit, but really hadn't been explored to the level that we needed it to. So that was our first step. What are, what, what are the hamstrings, uh, what kind of loads are they incurring during running, high-speed running? Then the second was to look at people who've had chronic hamstring injuries. Um, you know, what sort of, of deficits do they have long-term? Is it at a muscle level? Is it at a muscle firing level? Is it at uh, the muscle fascicle and tendon level? Where are we seeing these, these deficits that might persist? Is it just a, a strength issue overall? Um, so that led us down another line. And then the third piece was depending on how we rehab these individuals, could we mitigate some of these deficits that persisted and therefore reduce their risk of re-injury and long-term deficits? Um, so that, that's been a body of work over probably a 10 year span. Uh, we've had lots of good funding, uh, including the NFL medical charities has been a good sponsor for us. The national institutes of health has been interested in this area. You know, not that this is a healthcare crisis up there with cancer or heart disease or anything like that, but it, but it allowed us, how we were studying this, the, me the methods we were using to study this injury really piqued a lot of their interest. Um, and so that's where I think where we're, how we're able to spin some of this, uh, what's classically a, a sports injury into the interests of the NIH. Um, and so, you know, basically what we found is that there was, uh, the first question that came up was, where's the risk of injury to the hamstring? Is it during the stance phase of sprinting? When the foot hits the ground, you've got these big ground reaction forces. Or is it more in the swing phase when your foot's out ahead of you, your hip is flexed, your knee is extending, and you've got a high eccentric load that's present? Surprisingly, that, that question hadn't been answered. 
and there were camps that were really existed in both areas. Many thought it was stance phase, many thought it was swing phase. So our first goal was to answer that question. And and through a number of studies on healthy, high-level runners, sprinters, um, on we had we were able to define that the loads on the hamstring, in particular the negative work, which is think of it in terms of the energy absorption done by the hamstrings during swing phase, was much greater, much much greater than the stance phase, um, to the point that at that. Interestingly, as you went from 60% of your max sprinting speed to 100% of your max sprinting speed, you saw this exponential rise in negative work. Whereas in stance phase, the load on the hamstrings doesn't really change with speed. It stays more or less the same. Mm. So, But yet, I think we would all agree that the risk of injury goes up the faster you run. If anybody running 60%. They're like they're not very likely to be injured. It's when they go 80, 90, 100 percent that the thing tends to pop. Um, so we had a nice indirect link between the two. Although the animal modeling world and the tissue modeling world um, and the animal experimentations have shown pretty well that negative work correlates to, to muscle injury risk pretty nicely. And so we knew that that was an important factor for us, and it it. It played it played out very nicely. Um, so the next quite the next thing we did, which really was kind of a uh, we, again we fell into it for the most part. We came across data of a person running and taking part in an experiment who was running at 15 miles an hour on a treadmill or so, and injured their hamstring in the process. Now, what was unique about it was they were. They had uh, full motion capture marker sets on them. They were taking part in a, a big biomechanical experiment that was uh, unrelated to hamstring strain injuries, but nonetheless, the, the subject, the research participant, injured themselves. Thankfully, that wasn't in our lab. So there's no, no, no IRB concerns, no adverse event reporting, no you know, legal issues that occur. But what was really cool about it is the, the lab that, did happen in called us up and said, Hey, we've got some interesting data. You might be want to take a look at uh, and run through some of your analyses. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's a, a fantastic data set. So they sent it to us. We played around with it a bit. We went through a variety of different approaches to, to see if we could identify when did this person injure themselves when they were running. And lo and behold, it seemed to correlate with terminal swing. So right at that end part of swing phase appeared to be when that person was injured. Since then, there's been another similar case study of somebody getting injured while they're while they're running at high speed, and uh, it showed a very similar finding of terminal swing was the most likely time of injury. So you know we've had it, that was over a series of years and a series of experiments, but we're pretty confident now that that terminal swing is really the the, the phase. In fact, we had a a point counterpoint series in, in the in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, where one group of authors said it was stance phase, we said it was swing phase, kind of provided our evidence back and forth between the two. And interestingly, at a subsequent conference a couple of years later, the lead author on the paper that argued for stance phase uh, relented and basically said, "No, actually, I've uh, I've kind of changed my mind at this point. You guys have you guys have have convinced me that it's." Uh, Swing phase is it. 
Nice. <laughs> yeah. So it's always nice to win that argument. Yeah. Right? <laughs> totally. That's that's yeah. actually super cool. Yeah. You know, and and, uh, and this has been fun because we've had a chance to to take these data and go abroad. Uh, you know, there's a there actually was a two day conference in in Barcelona a couple of years ago at at the Muscle Tech Network uh, devoted to nothing but hamstring strain injuries. So we had a chance to show our data along with many other researchers across the world, and uh, it's been it's been really well received. Um, that, that's really awesome, and it's that's a pretty neat thing to hear because one of my mentors is Dr. Michael Yeses. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks all the time about how that pawing action is what's so important in not just propulsion, but in injury prevention. And to hear, you know, that phase is what, yep. um, it's kind of where it goes down, I guess we could say. Exactly. Um, is neat because one thing that I've always been an advocate for is special exercises should be your prehab. I, mean, yeah. I know that's not a word. No, no, I, sure. I understand. I, and I hate the word to be honest, <laughs> but um, if you're stronger and more mobile and able to move at greater velocities and the range of motion required, that sounds like a good idea to me, you know, to help you stay healthy. So to hear you say that is, is, is awesome. It actually yeah. makes me feel better for nice. And it, it's funny, you know, and it, if doc hears this, it, it, I'm never going to hear the end of it, but he's always right. So <laughs> it's, I don't know why I would even think for a moment that he wasn't, um, the people that study under him, it's, we seem to find more often than not that what Dr. Yeses tells us is, is pretty much, you know, it's, it's like a rock, you know, it's just kind of there. That's, that's how it is. So that's it's cool. Pretty- so now, another thing you've done a lot of work with is looking at modifications, and yeah. kind of uh, like a nerdy thing with me. And again, another one of the people that I've learned under is Natalia Verkashansky, and her father learned under Bernstein. Mm-hmm. So looking at motor learning and all those things, teaching someone and, and modifying running technique is hard. So can you talk about how you know the work you've done with determining if running for modification, you know, can, could help you like what you've done with that and how that's led, you know, to assisting runners be better off. Sure. Absolutely. So, you know, the, the work we've done with gait retraining as we like to call it or running for modification or whatever terms or you prefer it's most of that work has been done in, in more distance runners. Uh, getting to the sprinter and making some of those tweak changes can become a little bit challenging. And as you can well imagine, I mean, the movement is just so fast and it's, it's incredible as to at what point in time you'd intervene. So we, we haven't done too much of that yet, although we're getting there, we've got a couple of ideas in the works. And so we'll be, I'll, uh, maybe I'll come back in a couple years and be able to share that data with you, but I'm holding you know, you to that. <laughs> but right now, you know, the, the body work we've done a lot of is in, is taking distance runners, uh, those who are most prone to knee pain or Achilles type issues or shin uh, type issues, and tweaking how they run in such a way that we reduce the biomechanical demands on those tissues and therefore hopefully, hopefully thereby reducing their symptoms and getting them back to running. Now, we haven't done a lot of work yet with taking a group of healthy runners, adjusting their mechanics 
with the goal that we're going to prevent future injury. That's that's a tough thing to do at this point. Not something that we want to shy away from, but we we couldn't go there right away yet until we understood the first step, which was, well, let's take runners who have an injury, who are symptomatic, let's change their mechanics and see if their symptoms resolve, if it helps them get better. You know, and we tackled a couple of individuals and patient groups who, you know, had had done the usual strength and conditioning or motor retraining in a non-running sense. So they did a lot of focused exercises. They got stronger. They did what they needed to do. But yet when they ran, they still had pain. And so we needed to work with those groups to see, well, what if we changed how you ran? You've, we know you've already got the strength. You know we've got, you've got the control ability. Let's see if we can now tweak your movement style uh, and what sort of uh, uh, what occurs to your symptoms, and lo and behold, their their symptoms disappeared. And not didn't take weeks for it to disappear. It was like that in a matter of minutes. In some individuals, where it was an immediate effect, or in other words, when in a matter of days, where running was no longer placing the loads on the tissues that drove up their their pain. It was that now running became an activity. That was no more load. Well, it was still more loading, but it wasn't. It was no more pain provoking or symptom provoking than 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 walking or stair climbing. So it became a doable task for them. Um, and so we've we've approached it from a variety of ways. One that we really tend to to like and have used a lot is is changing people's step rate or their turnover when they're running, having them shorten their stride just a little bit, five ten percent. But rather than telling them to shorten it by X number of centimeters or inches, let's just have you take more steps running at the same speed. If you take more steps running at the same speed, you shorten your stride length. So a 5% increase in turnover at the same speed causes a 5% decrease in stride length or step length. So easy strategy, easy thing to learn. And for, for people who have that overstriding tendency who to land hard on their heel, their knee more extended. Uh, it works really well to teach them how to land in a more uh, posture that reduces the loads on the lower extremity. So we've had a lot of good success with that with a number of different injury types. Um, the next step we're trying to do is to say, take individuals who have, who to see if, if their step rate, if that number in and of itself could predict in some ways who's gonna be at risk for certain types of injuries. And uh, one of the doctoral students that I was on their committee on, Lace Ludke, um, uh, along with Mitch Rao and Blaze Williams, did a really nice study that at a high school level and took individuals and said, let's just look at their actual running their step rate, their number, 166, 170, 180, whatever their step rate is at preseason, and then follow them for the, the, the entire cross-country season to see if uh, that number, their step rate number, could predict their injury risk. And lo and behold, it did. Those who ran with a step rate below approximately 167, 166, had a much higher odds of a risk of, uh, of incurring shin injuries during the course of the season. So that gives us some idea of, well, boy, we could actually use this as a mass screening in high school runners and then potentially change that step rate number to reduce their risk. Now, we don't know that yet. That's the next experiment. If we do intervene and adjust their step rate, do we, do we reduce the incidence of, of uh, shin injury occurrence? 
but that's something that's on the list for uh, future years. That's really neat. Yeah. Because that's all performance based. So then, how do you get these athletes? Because they're just the devil's advocate. The the idea of telling someone, well, I want you to take more steps. Yeah. As a distance runner, I'd probably look at you and be like, you're nuts. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but how, so how do you get them, how, how do you teach that change? How do you get that evolution to occur? Yep, uh, absolutely. So that, again, another reason why we, we initially focused on individuals who had pain, because that buy-in, when you when you when their pain goes away, they're they're sold. I mean, they are they're on board with it. But you're absolutely right. You take a person who's healthy and say, you know what, you're at risk for injury. I'm going to make this change. You need to do this to stay injury free. Well, that, that's a big claim to make. Um, and you're right, buying becomes challenging. But th- it's one of the other reasons why we like step rate in some ways because it's it's really easy to teach. It's a rhythm, right? It's just a simple rhythm. You're not giving them targeted postures and positions and say, hey, no, I want your hip in five degrees more of adduction, or I want your foot in five degrees more of plantar. You know, it's nothing that they, it's it's something that they can easily monitor. So we, uh, you know, what we've done with them in the past is, is taking a simple metronome, you know, figure out what their step rate is at baseline, change it, increase it by 5%, set the metronome to reflect that 5% increase, and say, here you go, listen to this rhythm. Every time you hear a beat, I want a foot on the ground. And we and and we we do it in such we start with it many times on the treadmill because then speed is fixed. They can't run faster, they can't go off the treadmill, they've got to maintain that piece. And then by doing that, not that the metronome is the key to their learning, it's the key to facilitate their learning. The key to them learning it and being able to generalize it outside and over ground is to have to be able to feel what's changed. You know, how are you landing now with this higher step rate? Do you feel that you're less on your heel? Do you feel that you're not bouncing up and down as much as you used to? Do you feel like your foot is landing more under your hips and less out ahead of you? Once they can pick up and monitor those those physical cues, then they're great. They can take outside, they can run faster and still adjust their step rate as they need to, to keep that landing posture. Cause it's, it's the landing posture is what we're after. It's not so much this, this step rate number. Mm, no. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's, that's absolutely brilliant. And then starting on the, on the treadmill treadmill just allows you to literally be there and just, you know, you can zone in. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to worry out. about the grade of the of the surface. You don't have to worry about changing their speed or other obstacles, whatever. You can just sit and think about that. And it's, it doesn't take long. I mean, literally, it's a few minutes oh, of bet. listening to this metronome and they can make that adjustment. Not that it's comfortable immediately, but no. that they at least understand what you're asking of them. No, yeah, that's that's freaking brilliant. I love that. That's uh no, that's and that's that's interesting too. I can see how it could just be like so quickly caught on. That's, that's really awesome. Well, and you mentioned the point about the importance of that paw back. Mm -hmm. That's another strategy that we use with even in necessarily in sprinters, even with your, your eight minute milers or nine minute milers, recreation, 10 minute mile recreationalers, whomever they are, that higher turnover forces a paw back. It forces you to get that leg back down quicker. So it's not out ahead of you as much. Um, so you're absolutely right that, that, that the concept of the pallback is a really key 
important biomechanical way to to make sure the loads are at the right places of the body. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Now, you guys have a pretty interesting setup there at Madison. Let's talk a little bit about the relationship that's been built between sports med and the coaches and strength and conditioning and academia and your involvement in that and how that's kind of progressed to move forward. Sure. It's, and it has been a, definitely something that's progressed over time. When I first arrived here in 2003, there, there wasn't much of a collaboration at all. You know, I think it was very much, it was similar to many academic institutions. And that is, there's a bit of a, a bit of a divide in many ways between athletics and academia. Um, and getting those walls to break down was not an easy thing. And it wasn't me hammering and knocking on the door constantly. It really was, okay, I'm going to go do my thing and I'm going to make sure that I share my findings with you and see and come in and do some educational work and show, hey, this is why this might be useful. And, and that, that continued exposure really is what gradually opened up that door. And so then the director of sports medicine invited us in and gave a talk to their staff, including strength conditioning coaches and their, their athletic training staff on hamstrings. It was the hamstring work really that, that facilitated the first piece. And then it was one of those where we started thinking more about, boy, wouldn't it be nice to be able to, to do a lot of these uh, testing, these defined tests on, the entire 800 plus student athletes at the university and how do we go about doing that and for the athletic department to automatically sink money into this program that they would need not only the, the facilities and the equipment but the personnel to do it the first step was well we we have the equipment we have the facilities and we have the personnel but we don't have your athletes so what if you send them, bring them out to my lab and we'll do some testing on a couple teams um, at the team level first. And we'll, we'll combine that with, with some of our, our DEXA data at another lab that I have friends at. And so now we can get biomechanical data. We'll get whole body DEXA data. And oh, by the way, then we're going to go to another lab of my, where my colleagues are in engineering and we're going to get some, some motor control measurements taken on them. But in a way that was friendly to the coaches friendly to the, the trainings the athletic trainers um, and friendly to the numbers of, of people that we needed to get through it couldn't be this three-hour data collection yeah. per person it would it wouldn't fly um, but interestingly that that distance was a bit of a barrier everybody valued the information that we were getting it was a matter of how do we do it in a way that is feasible and and takes less time on the part of the athlete. So we worked with the athletic department. We had uh, we had to do some fundraising. We got the chair of orthopedics and sports medicine and, and rehabilitation to agree. And we built essentially when they were remodeling one of the the facilities at in the athletics department, we carved out space uh, right on site. So right next to the football stadium is there our sports medicine complex. And as part of that, uh, right across the, the uh, hallway from one of the major weight rooms is our, as our performance lab. Uh, so it sits right in between the athletic training room and one of our weight rooms. And so we get data easily on all the athletes. There's no excuse for them to say they couldn't get out to see us because we're right there where they are. Um, and so we collect data now on all the teams uh, two to three times a year. 
We put them through a series of, of metrics. Uh, we try, we're starting to get to the point where we're, we're uh, getting more sports specific tests involved. Uh, but like any new program, we're, we're needing to grow it and integrate it. And, um, you know, we're also at the point where we have these data, but we need to get the data into the hands of people like you to the, to the strength conditioning staff who's going to use this to the, the athletic trainers who are going to use this to the coaches who are going to use it. And so we've had to figure out a, a platform essentially that we can load the data up, get it out to those who need it, including the athletes in a time friendly way. Not something that we collect the data in August and Oh, by the way, maybe by next April, you'll have a summary report. We need to turn it around in short order in days. Um, and so that's what we've been, been working on developing. That's you know, we've been, yeah, it is a lot. We've, you know, thank, we've had really good uh, uh, support from the athletic department as well as the academic side. We've uh, been at it now for, I think we're entering our, our, our fourth or fifth year of really uh, aggressive collecting. We've been doing it now for about five years total, but this is really where we're, we're hitting our stride. So now we've got a great data set and we can start looking at uh, injury risk factors or performance factors. What variables might give us some insights as to who's going to perform a certain way. And it's not just the biomechanical data. We've integrated it with, with uh, monitoring sleep. We've integrated it with monitoring their, their nutrition and their diet habits. We've integrated it with all of their injury risk profiles uh, uh, and their, the, what supplements they may be taking. All those pieces are all being centrally integrated so we can start looking at how one influences the other and hopefully how all of them together influence performance. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. So basically you guys are getting to the point now where you're almost going to be able to run predictive analytics and look That's at if Johnny goes left, he's going to, you know, risks are going to go through the roof or if he goes right, you know, he's on his way to being an all American. Like that's that, the kind of stuff to me that I think is the nerd in me is just like, that's so cool. You know? Cause, yeah. I know it's same way. Yeah. That, that's our goal. Yeah. So I don't know if you're able to talk about it, but what are some of like the sports specific testing you're doing? So the sport we're, we're trying to, you know, we're, right. So we started our first round with just taking a handful of basic measures that would still be valuable across a wide variety of sports. So for example, to a standard counter movement jump, um, you know, that that's one that has broad sport application in terms of performance, right? I think it's anywhere from, from being associated with softball bat speed to, uh, you know, running speed in many of the sports. Not that it's the perfect one in all of them, but it has a good generalizability. Um, but what we do is instead of just measuring height, we're measuring force output under each foot. So we're able to get unilateral force production during a, counter, a max effort counter movement jump, look at power production, you look at asymmetries, um, for football in particular, and you're looking at that acceleration over a short distance, we want to add the horizontal jump. Um, that's one that we're going to be looking to do in the near future. Um, and again, looking at it with, with, from a force uh, production standpoint. We do a couple of different reach tasks while they're standing on a force platform to look at center of, of, of pressure and how they're able to control their posture when they're doing certain movements. Uh, does that raise any flags at all? 
we uh, we collect DEXA scans on the athletes to look at lean mass, fat mass distribution, and of course, able to see how it, how it changes regionally or side to side or how it returns after an injury. Bone mass is certainly something that we're doing a lot of work on. And, you know, our goal is can we even use a DEXA scan to to look at risks of certain types of bone stress injuries um, without having to go with a level of, of, a, of a PQCT or other sort of advanced bone scans. Um, we do whole body biomechanical uh, sprint analysis and running analysis. So for example, we bring in the, the specialty players from uh, football and those are gonna be really at risk for a hamstring strain injury or other types of injuries. Well, let's let's fully instrument them and let's watch them run, and see what things look like, and look at the loads on their hamstring, look at the asymmetries that might be present, look at their ground reaction force asymmetries. Uh, how do, how well do they control their their pelvis? Does that put them at risk for osteitis pubis and other sports hernia or other adductor type issues? Uh, basketball team similar. We, we're going to take a couple of of their movements and integrate it with with some of our metrics on them. We're we're really exploring now a lot of the wearable sensors. You know, that's an area that it's on everybody's radar and everybody wants to do and get the measures, but we want to, we want to do it in a way that we know what we're doing with it. And that, that uh, it's not just this black box algorithm that that's being sold to us that we actually really know what it is. Cause a lot of those inertial sensors, you know, you just don't know the, the accuracy of them in all, ta- in all ways. And so that's, that's something we're truly trying to investigate more and more of and, yeah, getting muscle activity data for hours on end uh, on the field. You know, can we can we collect that type of information? Um, so it's 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 been a lot of fun. We've got you know anywhere from the the applied scientists uh, to the the more uh, proto device development guys are all kind of are collaborating on this on this program. That's awesome, man. That's really neat, forward thinking, advanced stuff, and it's they're really lucky in the department to have you guys involved. Cause that's, that's super cool. Oh, uh, we appreciate that. I mean, it probably, you know, I think we're reached the same point that many of us have, which is you see all these little studies being done and they answer a small little question, but then right away you realize, well, they didn't account for X, Y, and Z because they didn't have access to that information. So let's, let's just do that. Let's, let's provide, let's get to the point where we can start answering these bigger questions in a, in a bigger way. Yeah, no. And that's fascinating. So let's go on then to science of running. Let's talk about that a little bit and where that's going and how that's come about and and move from there. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. So the science of running medicine is a a symposium that myself and a couple of colleagues have started doing the last year or two. And, and uh, we've got, we've got one of our our symposium coming up in six weeks in, in Nashville. Um, And it's, it's been a lot of fun because we get individuals from, physical therapists, athletic trainers, sports physicians, chiropractors, strength conditioning coaches, you name it. They're all in one room and we just hammer on, on the science of running. You know, what uh, are in terms of the, of the biomechanical factors that really drive up your running injury risk? How do you deal with this on a day-to-day basis? How do you correct some of these issues? I think we all know that and have faced that challenge of that running injuries are, are not always the easiest thing to deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're both from either an acute injury like the hamstring strain or towards your more overuse injuries like uh, exertional compartment syndrome uh, or, or Achilles type issues or uh, chronic uh, hip pain. 
Um, and so we bring in three experts, Irene Davis out of Harvard University, Christopher Powers out of USC, and then myself. And uh, we have a, a two-day uh, course where we really just have a lot of interaction. There's lots of debates because we, the three of us, don't agree on everything. And so we debate it back and forth. And we really try to, to make it very interactive for those that are, that are uh, at the symposium, at the conference. Uh, lots of, of open mic sessions where you can just let it go and, and really start to, to dig down through what's been published and what, what needs to be done and what needs to happen. Uh, but ultimately, the goal is that when people leave the symposium, they're, they're back in their, in their work environment on Monday, and they've got some, some new tips and new tools to be able to start working with right away with their athletes. Oh, and that's what's important, man, is to be able to take it home and get people going right away. You know, it's, we, we try to do the same thing with what we do in July here, and it's, um, it's absolutely awesome stuff. And people can find more information about that at? at our website, which is scienceofrunning.net. Awesome. So not .com, but scienceofrunning.net. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Doc, this talk has been absolutely killer. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, we will get this up really soon, man. People are going to love it. Thank you so much. Uh, great, Jay. Thanks a lot for the invitation again. And uh, go Spiders, right? Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Appreciate <laughs> Unless that. Unless they're playing the Badgers. Unless <laughs> they're playing the Badgers. <laughs> I won't tell Eric you said that. We'll be okay. <laughs> But yeah, man, I, I do. I really appreciate it. And as a guy who, I mean, there's a hole in the back of my leg still from a hammy going in, in college. So it's uh, hearing all this stuff and, and talking about this is it's always going to be fascinating to me. I, I can't thank you enough. And we'll be in touch really soon. Thanks again for your time. All right. Thanks again, Jim. All righty. Have a good one. You too. And a huge thank you to today's guest, University of Wisconsin-Madison's Dr. Brian Heiderscheidt. Guys, absolutely awesome stuff, completely open sharing about everything that he's doing out there at Madison, talking about what they're doing with, with the sport performance staff and the sports medicine staff, his research, how all these things are coming together, how they're identifying and correcting issues. I think it's really awesome stuff. I can't thank him enough for spending the time with us today. Um, I thought that all of this stuff that we were talking about when we're looking at where the injuries occur, things we can do to prevent them, strengthening needs that we need. I mean, all of that is completely priceless. So, Dr. Heiderscheid, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us today. Um, as always, guys, if you enjoyed the discussion, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Uh, you know, throw it up on Facebook, tweet it, Instagram, whatever it may be. We're just trying to get great information out there to all the coaches. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.